0: verse 32. And John, this is John the Baptist, testified, I saw the Spirit from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, being Jesus. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John, again, was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. I like John's gospel because occasionally he gives us little, little hints. I'm like, oh, this word actually means this. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. Different John. You are called to be Caiaphas, which is translated Peter. There John goes again. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The words of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, this episode in John chapter 1, it begins with John the Baptist giving his testimony, his authoritative witness about who Jesus is, saying, and I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So that happens on one day, and then the next verse Picks up, it says, and the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, "Look, here is the Lamb of God." So, just in a matter of two sentences in the text, which in kind of real time might be about twelve hours or so or more, but John the Baptist makes two confessions in two sentences: that one, that Jesus is the Son of God. And that Jesus is the Lamb of God. In that one, John the Baptist has already mentioned before, back in verse 29, which was before our reading today. Jesus said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But in this scene, we also see that John is with two of his disciples. Individuals that had been following John the Baptist's teachings, that had been following John around, hearing what he's had to say. And we know that one of the two disciples here is Andrew, and uh, we'll learn this a few verses later, but we know it's Andrew. And the other disciple is unnamed, Never, never gets specifically named, but likely, and by tradition, it was John, the author of this gospel account itself. But then uh, verse 37 continues, the two disciples, those two disciples, heard John the Baptist say this, and they followed Jesus. So when they heard John the Baptist say, look, the Lamb of God, they transferred their discipleshipness from John the Baptist to Jesus, and they begin to follow Jesus. They're following Jesus, and Jesus senses that... um, he has a couple stalkers now. You know, when you're, you feel like you're being watched or somebody's following you, it seems like Jesus kind of had that same sense, like, what are they doing? But when Jesus turned and he saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? Now, there is a question for us all to reflect upon. What are you looking for? What are you pursuing with your life? Do you even know what you're looking for? When Jesus asked his two stalkers this question, I don't think he meant it in a purely practical sense, you know, as if they were looking for their car keys or something like that. I think Jesus meant his question, what are you looking for in a deeper spiritual sense? Because as you, as you read through John's gospel, Jesus seems to always be speaking on a spiritual level. People don't always pick up on it and it kind of confuses them. We'll see this in later encounters. But Jesus is more concerned with the spiritual level. So when he asks, what are you looking for? I think Jesus is asking something significant there. Something more than just what's on the surface level. You know, it's not much different, I would say, than how we go about our own days. You know, we have our own to-do lists. We have the ways in which we spend our time each day. But how often... Do we really stop or have that time in the mornings where we let ourselves reflect on that deeper spiritual question, the deeper spiritual aspect of our lives? Let's pick up in our story this morning and look at how our two Jesus stalkers answered Jesus' question. So Jesus asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which John helps us here, which is translated means teacher. Where are you staying? Kind of an odd question to have in response to Jesus. But their response, it's sort of an indirect way of saying, we'd like to spend some time with you. We'd like to visit with you. They have a curiosity, curiosity. I mean, after all, John the Baptist, whom they'd just been following, had just called Jesus the Son of God, the Lamb of God wanted to hear more about what jesus had to say they wanted to hear more about who jesus is and to spend time with him and to dialogue with him and to really figure out or get to know what jesus is all about and Jesus' response is simple come and see or at least that's how the nrsv translates it i like how the niv translates this for uh this phrase which is come and And you will see. Because in Greek, the word see here is in the future tense. And I think the translation come and you will see, I think it better fits Jesus' emphasis on deeper meanings. Because, you know, their question is, where are you staying? Well, if Jesus just answered with, well, come and see. To me, that implies the emphasis of the answer is on the place where Jesus is staying. Like, come and see this place. But being in the future tense, having a different emphasis, when Jesus says, come and you will see, can mean something more. Jesus calls them to follow him, and through following him, their eyes are going to be opened spiritually, and they will see this greater spiritual truth of who he is and what he is to do. So if that's the case, if that's what Jesus has in mind, it it shifts the focus of Jesus' answer being on a physical location of just where he's staying to that of a spiritual revelation and what it means for their lives. And here's also why I think this. We're going to just go into the next part of uh, of the verse. It says that they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. There's where we know who who one of the two disciples were. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. So after spending time with Jesus, we see that these two disciples, their, their eyes were opened and they were now convinced. We have found the Messiah. Their eyes were open to a greater and deeper spiritual truth. I mean, think about that claim. That's a big claim. That's a big conclusion to jump to. We have found the Messiah. Remember who the Messiah was supposed to be? This special anointed one of God, this Savior King. I wish I could have been in that place for those hours with the two disciples and with Jesus to hear what Jesus said to them. What Jesus taught, him, taught them and what convinced them beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus, yes, was the Messiah. And next we also see what Andrew then immediately does. He immediately goes and he finds his brother Simon to share this news. And so the story continues. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Caiaphas, which, mean, or which is translated Peter. And then that day ends. And the story picks up in its sequence in verse 43. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, it's possible here that why maybe verse 44 is in there it's possible that Andrew and Peter and for that matter James and John knew Philip and so that's why Jesus went and found him that's a guess we don't know that but regardless we do see that Jesus's call to Philip is these two words follow me this friends is the call of Christ for all of us to follow him To follow Jesus is to believe in him as the son of God, the lamb of God, and also to place your trust in him, not just to believe mentally, but to place your trust in him. To follow means that Jesus charts the course and that we rely on him to lead us. It's to give control over to him, which for honest is not easy for us to do, to give over control to someone else. It also means that we have to leave some things behind. You know, we go places, we travel, we like to take some of our stuff with us, we like to be prepared, you know, like a good Boy Scout might be. But when Christ calls, he doesn't call us to bring our baggage. Christ calls us to leave. What was? He calls us to leave those things behind, to venture boldly forward, charting a new course, living into a new life, declaring Jesus as Lord and following him wherever he leads. As Luke records in his gospel account, says that Jesus said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. I think we all know our tendency is to cling to our earthly treasures or our accolades or our trophies or our wealth or our possessions. And those earthly things we try so hard to obtain. I mean, it always feels like the grind of our life is is sometimes just spent obtaining more things We find ourselves lusting after these things, thinking that we're going to find our value and our worth from them. We build our identities around them. But friends, when Christ calls us, we are called to lay down those things for the sake of following him. Just as the Apostle Paul, when he knew the joy of what it meant to follow Christ, he says in Philippians, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ." More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul continues... forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Those are great words for us as we think about maybe the new year ahead of us. There is no greater treasure than that of knowing Christ as Lord and following him, putting putting him as the priority of our life should be our highest goal and our greatest purpose. Follow me, Jesus says. Before I wrap up today, I, I want to press on in our scripture text and, dis, and discuss one more aspect of it. Picking up in verse 45. So this is a scene between Philip and his friend, most likely Nathaniel. So it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law... And also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, 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 from Nazareth. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So what we see here is that Andrew had just had an encounter with Jesus, changed his life. and So he sought to tell Nathaniel. And as he tells Nathanael, as he finds him, he says that we have found him. The one that Moses and the scriptures and the prophets, they've all been pointing us toward. He's here. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Nathaniel's response to him is a bit sarcastic, maybe even a little cynical. Don't know. Nathaniel said to him, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is that really what you believe? Is that what you think? You know, it sort of reminds me how I've heard some people from New York talk about uh, New Jersey, or sometimes Texans talk about Oklahoma. But, you know, no offense to New Jersey or Oklahoma. They're both fine places to live, I'm sure. But it's this kind of, uh, you know, kind of snobby uh, looking down upon response. But look at Philip's response to Nathaniel, because it's not defensive, it's not condescending. It's not an attack. It's simple. Philip said to him, "Come and see." Now, a little interesting note on this because it looks a lot, or it looks exactly like what Jesus had originally said to them. But remember, what Jesus said before in the Greek was in the future tense, and, it's, and so I encouraged us to look at it as "come" and "you will see." But here, Philip uses the word "see." not in the future tense. Grammatically, this word is a second person, singular, imperative, active, aorist tense. So I'm going to go ahead and say you're welcome because I had originally wrote up what each of those things mean and I was going to outline each of those grammatical terms. It's too early on a Sunday to do that to you, so not going to. So I'm going to make it as simple as I can. What Philip does is he gives Andrew encouragement to do a simple act just come and see it has the same emphasis as you know if there's something that we really enjoy and we have a friend that has never tried it before but we want them to try it what might we say well just come and check it out come and see because we know that you know if they just try it they just get a taste of it if they you know they'll see what it's all about for themselves it's just like when we say just come and see It's a simple invitation for them to experience it for themselves. Friends, that is our call as followers of Jesus, is to take the good news and to find someone and to say, come and see. You know, we so easily do this with things that we're a part of, maybe exercise classes or mom's groups or golf outings or sports or clubs or events or other things like that. But sometimes it's so hard for us to extend That same simple invitation for church, or more specifically, for Jesus. Maybe we hesitate because we're fearful of how that person may react. Maybe like Nathaniel, they might respond with a little bit of sarcasm or cynicism. You know, they might say, do you really believe that? They may even, you know, be a little snarky or even hostile. But God does not require you to have a seminary degree or to know everything about the Bible or theology in order to share the good news of Jesus with someone. The biggest impact you can have sometimes is simply offering that invitation. I know in my life that's where it started for me. A friend of mine just invited me to come and to join his youth group. Just come and see. Try it out. We can tell those people what Jesus means to our life, and we can say, come and see what he might mean to yours, and then just let the Spirit of Christ take it from there. So I hope that you will think this morning, I hope you will think of a specific person that you can be in prayer for, who may need an invitation to come and see, and pray for them. Pray for their soul, pray for an opportunity to extend that invitation to them. Maybe maybe they're already a Christian and they just kind of haven't been going to church, but maybe they're not. And maybe they need their own experience, their own encounter with Jesus to come and see. So pray for them and pray for that opportunity. Maybe it'll just present itself in the natural course of the day. But maybe it might mean that you need to send them a text or give them a call and ask them to to coffee or to lunch or to a golf outing. Maybe it's extending to them an invitation to join you in worship. Maybe joining a Bible study might be kind of the first in or a children's ministry event or prime timers or youth group or a youth retreat. But pray for them and encourage them to come and see. So in the time at fall... the time that follows in our time of uh, prayer and offering, I want to encourage you to think of that someone to be in prayer for. You know, write their name down. And don't just pray for them once. Don't just pray for them right here this Sunday morning. Commit to praying for them every day this week. Extending invitations to come and see is really what I want us as a church to focus on in the weeks to come. And on my end, I also want to work with our ministries and our leaders to focus on this as well. As we look into the gospel of of John over the next few weeks, and we look at these encounters that people have with Jesus, I hope that we can reflect on our own encounter with Jesus and how we can invite others to come and see. Amen. Let us pray.